Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Our scripture this morning will be taken from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. If you're using your Pew Bible, it's on page 1491. If you're not, it's on a different page. Um, Beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take You, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. You may be seated. Key to help as I look around today, but seeing so many babies, what a great thing. And others who are not babies anymore, but thankful that you're here and thankful that we can be together. I received notice from a couple of people today, or three maybe, who are listening who can't be here. And I'm just real glad that technology allows us to join with others in singing the praises of God and in worshiping in various ways and thankful for that. Before we begin a study of this lesson this morning, would you please bow with me for a moment of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for our families and we thank you for your family. And our Father, we thank you that As parts of these families, we have many responsibilities, but we also have many, many blessings. And help us never to take for granted those blessings. We thank you for Jesus, that he not only was born, but that he lived and served and performed miracles and taught. And he set an example for all the rest of us. We pray that as we spend a few moments together in a study of your word that we will have a deeper appreciation for what he was and is and what he has promised to do. And so bless us that our focus may be upon the Christ. And we pray that we will magnify Christ in how we speak and how we listen, how we worship and how we serve and in how we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Incarnation is a term that we need to know the definition of in order to grasp something of the teaching of it. If you like word studies like I do, you'll note the base word, the root word here would be C-A-R-N. And we're familiar with carnivores, and those are flesh-eating animals. But the idea is flesh. And so when we speak of the incarnation of Christ, we're speaking of God having become flesh. And there are many people who don't believe that. Someone asked me before coming today, why are you going to deal with something that everybody already knows, everybody already believes? I said, well, first of all, not everybody knows. And a lot of people don't believe it. And so I hope you do, but if you don't, I hope you will want to believe it and that you will try hard to be a believer and that then you and I will be better fortified to meet the people day by day who need some help with their faith in this area. And most of us from time to time need some help in our faith. But the passages that I want us to look at have so much meaning if we will allow them to that in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And notice in all of the Bibles that I know anything about, that W in Word is capitalized. It has to do with the revelation of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Then when you read to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. Incarnation means that the living word who is the Christ is God manifested in flesh. I remember someone asking me, we were privately studying, and he said, do you understand that? I said, no, I don't understand it. Why lie about it? No, I really don't understand all about it, but I firmly believe in the one who told me, and I can believe anything he says, and that's where we come to faith. Don't try to figure it all out by yourself. You say, well, if I'd just taken one more course in college, that probably wouldn't have resolved the problem. If I were just a little older, well, I'll guarantee you that doesn't solve the problem. The point really is there needs to be a basis for our faith. And there is where we come to believe in the existence of God, the inspiration and authority of Scripture, and the deity of Jesus Christ. When we can get those things firmly in our minds, we're going to have a much better time in living and serving and growing and developing spiritually. And so the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 1 Timothy 3.16, if you read the whole chapter, you'll see where Paul has given the description of who should be an elder or bishop or pastor or presbyter, overseer, one who tends the flock shepherd and then he talks about those who could be deacons servants with special areas of service and then he says 
I've written these things to you so you know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground or support of the truth. And then he said in verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Well, the apostle John had told us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here the apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is saying that God was manifested in the flesh. Now, 1 John chapter four, you compare that with it and you're going to see every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And the rest of the verse says, and this is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. Some people spend a lot of time defining for you and me who the antichrist is. It's been everybody from Hitler to whatever your last name is. If you assign enough value to each letter, you'll come up with whatever you want to for Antichrist. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. What I'm concerned about is that we see that Antichrist is the one who does not believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It's right there in the text. 1 John chapter 4. And that Antichrist was already at work in the world and still is and is gaining converts every day. Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. Now, when you look at that and you study it, you're going to see from our text in Matthew 1 and then in Isaiah 7, where this virgin would conceive and would bring forth a son and his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. And in Matthew chapter one at verse 18 and continuing, his name would be called Jesus. Well, which is it, Emmanuel or Jesus? Yes. It's both. Jesus is Savior or Deliverer. Emmanuel is God with us. Emmanuel is our Savior or our Deliverer. Delivery from what? From sin. From the guilt of sin, which would condemn us if we didn't have an avenue of escape. And that avenue of escape is God in the flesh, Christ Himself the anointed of God, the Messiah. Now, I love the story of the woman at the well. Someone asked me to come preach somewhere on a Wednesday night and say, we're not assigning topics this year. We're asking every speaker we have for 12 weeks in the summer to come and present your favorite sermon, whatever it is. We figure we'll have a lot of variety. So I said, well, I'm going to go with John 4. I just love it. Here's this woman at the well. 
Jesus comes through there with his disciples and he's thirsty and he asks her for a drink. Now that's not terribly unusual in our society. That was more than unusual in his society. First of all, he was a Jewish man talking to a woman in public. Well, he was a man talking to a woman in public. And then he was a Jewish man and she wasn't a Jewish woman. She was a Samaritan. She wasn't a pure Gentile and she wasn't a pure Jew. She was a mixed breed Gentile, or rather Samaritan woman. And they're gathered at close to Mount Gerizim. And that's where the Samaritans did their worshiping. He talks to her not only about water, he talks to her about something else. He talks to her about her life. He said, go get your husband. She said, well, I don't have one. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. You've had five and the one you're with is not your husband. And then she starts talking about where you go to church, where you worship. She said, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. And we teach it's here at Mount Gerizim. And Jesus said, the time is coming when neither in Jerusalem nor in this mountain shall you worship the Father. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And she said, we know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak unto you am he. Good grief, did he tell the truth? He's claiming to be the Messiah. Did he tell the truth? I believe he did and you probably believe he did too. And the world doesn't believe that. But God became flesh in the person of Jesus and he is the Messiah who was promised from history, from prophecy. Go well, back to my story about visiting the church and doing that. When I finished the lesson, I made my whole lesson on Jesus said, I who speak unto you am he. I didn't go everywhere with it. I just focused on that. One of the elders came up to me after church that night and he said, I appreciated your lesson very much. He said, that's the fourth message we've heard this summer on the woman at the well. And he said, all four of them have been a different emphasis. And I'm really glad. I wish we called our series, The Woman at the Well, and get 12 lessons on it. Study it when you, when you have time and are interested. Study John 4. Fascinating. Fascinating. But Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. When you go with Jesus into Luke chapter 4, you find him coming into Nazareth, his hometown. A prophet is not without honor save in his hometown, in his own country, among his own kinsmen. I don't want to tell too much here, but every time I cross the state line at Hazel, going into Paris, I'm thinking, oh. I love Paris. I love some of the people in Paris, really big, but a whole lot of them, just wonderful people. But everything I ever did, I'm really ashamed of, I did it in Paris. And everything that has ever happened to me that's really sad has happened in Paris. But I go into Paris 
And I don't claim to be the Messiah, that's for sure. You can ask anybody who went to high school with me and they'll say, no, that's not what I think of when I think of Johnny. <laughs> not at all. But I do believe God forgives. And I've asked him to forgive me and I've asked the people to forgive me and I've forgiven myself and now what is your problem? Forgiveness is real, why? Because I'm so good? No, because God is so good and because Jesus became flesh and God forgives through the power of the blood of Jesus. And he arose from the grave for our justification and I'm really glad he not only died, he also arose Therefore, when I die, I'll be raised, and you will too. And don't worry about going back to your hometown. But here Jesus came to his hometown. He went to the synagogue in Nazareth. They brought him the scroll that had Isaiah 61, as we now have it divided. I can imagine that he was scrolling by turning one and turning the other and finding that portion of Scripture. And he read it to them. And when he had finished reading that, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, bring healing, all these things that he said would happen, and to preach the gospel of the coming kingdom. He finished reading and he gave the scroll back to the attendant who put it back in the place where it belonged. And he turned to the crowd and said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What? This man is from Nazareth? They said, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter's son? I can hear some of them talking. His daddy built our kitchen table that we still eat lunch at. Who does he think he is? He grew up right down the road. We would say, well, he mowed my yard. He brought me the newspaper. He waited on me at the drugstore. Who does he think he is? He claimed to be the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the Messiah. And he had to grow up somewhere, and so he grew up in Nazareth in Galilee. But if you go back to John 1 and read some more, he came to his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him, to them gave he the power to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. He wasn't accepted among his hometown folks. They didn't believe him, and they got so angry they decided to kill him. And so they took him to the cliff on which the city was built, and they were going to throw him over the cliff so that he would be killed by the dashing his body against those stones. And it doesn't say exactly how it worked, but Jesus walked right through their midst and went on to Capernaum to finish a portion of his ministry. He told the woman at the well, I am the promised Messiah. He told the people in Nazareth and Galilee, I am the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecy. Did he tell the truth? Sorry. Is that thing down there on the floor? No. Where did it go? In the flowers? Thank you, Derek. You're not only a great song leader, you're a great retriever. Thank you. 
Dear me, this says it's time to quit. (laughs) We will in a minute, I promise. Is Jesus telling the truth? That's the main thing. If he is telling the truth, believe him with all of your heart. If he's not telling the truth, let him join the myriad of people who've lied to you in the name of religion. Many of them just want your money or your wife, or both. Jesus was not a liar. I want to read a couple of quotes. Don't need to take notes. I'll give you a copy of this when it's over. If you want it, they'll be out front. You can pick them up. But these are thought-provoking. Try to listen closely to it. In In his incarnation... Jesus became what he had not previously been, namely man, without ever ceasing to be what he had always been, namely God. There was a time when Jesus was God but not man, but there never was a time when he was man but not God. His deity was not humanized nor his humanity deified. He remained fully divine throughout the whole time. Now, he could place limitations on his own powers if he chose to, and I believe he did. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was anticipating the rejection of the Father, and it did happen, but there was agony that was very human. Was he the Son of Man? Yes. Was he the Son of God? Yes. Context will tell you every time, unless you don't want to understand it, unless you've been taught some things that you can't quite get over. Let the Bible speak for itself. Let God reveal through His Word and with the help of His Spirit what you and I need to understand in order to be saved from sin, in order to have a life that is abundant, yea, even life eternal. And so we want to see Jesus as Lord. We see Him as the Son of the living God. We see Him in all the different ways that we can see Him, clearly see Him, and make commitment to Him in our hearts and then follow through with that in doing what He says. I like to think of baptism as a revelation of a commitment, the sealing of a commitment. It's very similar to falling in love and getting married. I know there's more to it than the symbol would seem to tell us. But when a couple gets married, they don't fall in love when they get to the wedding ceremony. They fall in love before they get there. And then they seal that, making it legal in every way that it's supposed to be. And they then can live together honorably and have children and various ways of enjoying all the benefits of marriage. When a person becomes fascinated with Jesus, that's a very significant time. When a person decides, hey, this man's telling the truth. He's not only performing miracles and interesting to read about, he's somebody special. He really is who he claimed to be. I believe him. I I determine in my heart, he is the son of the living God, the Savior. And I need a Savior and I commit my life to him. I'm willing to receive what he's teaching and to receive him 
in my heart as someone who is ready to save me and keep me clean and let me come to live with him forever and evermore. That's special. Come to baptism to seal that. Water doesn't save. The blood of Christ does the saving. But the Christ who shed the blood said, go to the water. Don't overemphasize baptism, but don't miss its emphasis either. How very important it is to see the Christ who is the Messiah, the Christ who is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Everything he claimed to be, he is. Believe it. And in addition to all those spiritual values, he is the example to follow. What would Jesus do is a lot more than just a marketing feature for some necklaces and other relics. It's a way of life. It's a commitment from the heart. Following Jesus is the right way to do it. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, We follow his steps. He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, You imitate or you follow me as I follow Jesus. The only thing that I would want you to do in following me is to be sure that I'm following Jesus and then follow me, join me in following Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not your Savior, but I can point you to the Savior. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I've asked Derek to lead us in my favorite song, actually pulling together the whole message of Christ and following Him. Oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Then the action step, verse 4. Oh, to be like Thee, Lord, I'm coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I'm bringing. Lord, from this moment, all shall be Thine. I'm Yours. May not be much, but all I am is Yours. All I have is Yours. You're my Lord. That means you're my owner. Not just my superintendent, but you're the one in charge of my thinking, in charge of my actions, in charge of my words. And while I stumble in doing that, I know you lovingly forgive and abundantly pardon. It's a wonderful life. Take Jesus out of the manger in Bethlehem. Even off the cross in Jerusalem. Out of the tomb. All the way to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And let him live in your heart and guide you. And love you and forgive you and keep you clean and then welcome you home someday. It's a wonderful thing to be able to follow Jesus. Be like him in every way that you can. A great challenge, 
But don't get frustrated and quit because you don't measure up. I don't either. Join hands and hearts with people like me and let's try to follow him more closely because we love him more dearly than we ever have before. If we can help you come to the front while we stand and sing.